for Zamparelli on 2FM. With Virgin Mobile. Freedom of calling to brighten up your winter mornings. Virgin Mobile. Bring on amazing. It's time for Jen's Friends. Jen's Friday Friends. Well... For today, it's Lottie's Friday's Friends. And this week, I am joined by Martin Worthington, Associate Professor in Middle Eastern Studies at Trinity College, Dublin. Martin, how are you? A friend with a slightly nasal voice, but I hope that's okay. Hello. Sorry, Martin, I missed you there. What did you say? Oh, hello, sorry. I was just saying that you found yourself a friend with a slightly nasal voice. Um, Wonderful. So for that, but good morning, nonetheless. Oh, Martin, you've made me feel a little bit better, so thank you. <laughs> well, hello. Now, listeners might remember you from November, which is when you were chatting to Jen um, about how you basically ended up working on a Hollywood movie when you translated Marvel's The Eternals into ancient Babylonian. So we, we have to start then with yesterday's topic when I was talking about feel-good movies. So if you had to choose like one show or even one movie to watch again and again to kind of help beat the January blues, which one would you choose? Oh, gosh. I mean, with the usual caveat, you wouldn't want to choose one. I think for me, uh, it's easy to answer because I've done that. It was The Mentalist. Oh. Which is a show, it's basically a sort of modern-day Sherlock Holmes figure set in California, except he works for the police instead of in competition with them. And it's so funny. Um, It's very pretty to watch because it's like a sort of estate agent's brochure. All these massive Beverly Hills villas. Um, The plots are very clever. And what really does it for me is the central character, who is the mentalist, um, his name is Patrick Jane in the show, loves his own role. He's mischievous. He tricks people. And he always does it with this huge smile as if I'm just having the best day of my life. And it's actually... Even better than that, because he's as a character, he's been through a lot. His family is being killed by a serial killer. And it's almost like he's had day to day cares burnt off him by disaster. And so what's left is this living core of a man who faces every day with new energy. And I think I was in love with him and with his uh, female sidekick, um, Teresa, Teresa Lisbon in the show and I must have watched the whole thing about three times. So I recommend that to anybody. Well, I've never seen it, so I think I might watch it tonight. Well, if if you like it, then that's a hundred hours of your life which you'll <laughs> have to devote to it, like a, worshiping at an altar. Um, also on Thursday, so we were talking about um the Pope, and I don't know if you heard about this, but he had this declaration that people who choose to have pets instead of kids are being selfish. Um, and I think it would be safe to say it was really now not a popular one with the listeners, Martin. What do you think of it? <laughs> Oh, God, this is something that unfolds on so many levels. Okay, Mm. so first of all, I'm not a practicing Roman Catholic and I don't have children. So that's where I'm coming from. I mean, one dimension to this, you know how Donald Trump recently said that um, actually maybe people should start taking vaccinations after all. One of my cleverer friends pointed out what probably happened is he woke up one morning and said, whoops, if all my followers keep on not taking vaccines, they're all going to die of coronavirus and I won't have any followers left. So <laughs> I better, and you can see where I'm going with this, right? You know, yes. The, the Pope is in Italy, which has a very low um, 
new kid's rate. He's sitting there talking in Italian. He thinks, oh, actually, whoops, it might not be such a bad idea if Italians started having more kids. And I saw the clip and he actually looked to me like a rather tired, vulnerable old man mm. who even looks like confused. And the, the way he mentioned the children, he said something like, you know, this may seem silly to you, but it actually is a letter, as if he expected to be derided. Of course, the problem with this is I have limited sympathy, because if you feel that you're not up to the job, you can always resign like your predecessor did. Um, but in terms of the wider picture, I mean, look, obviously human society, to keep being sustainable, needs to have people. Fine. Um, and I think selfishness is an enormous problem. We're all wrapped up in a massive web of selfishness. You know, all the clothes we wear that are made in sweatshops and we don't bat an eyelid about it. All the homeless people we pass to whom we could have given half a euro, but we don't. I mean, it's good to be reminded that we are all hypocritical and selfish to a very large and often scary degree. However, whether the solution to this is to take away people's pets and help them have children instead, um, I think might be a bit of an oversimplification. Well, I mean, have you ever had a pet, Martin? Oh, um, more than one over the years. Um, at a long removal in time, I think that the one that stands out for me is not quite the pet that never was, but almost. I had this rabbit to whom I gave the name Goldie, um, who spent most of his or her, I'm not even sure I knew the sex, but um, most of his or her existence in a cage. But then it got taken out of the cage and, you know, it was sort of taken to nibble grass on the lawn and things like that. Um well, I must have been, I don't know, nine or ten. We lived in the country. And one evening I took him out of his cage and I sort of watched him hop away and go and eat a bit of grass and hop away a bit more. And I waited for him to come back. And he never did. He just hopped further and further away. Oh, gosh. And that was the end of my story with Goldie. A massive feeling of forlornness, which I have, however, overcome over well, the Well, Martin, if that's what your pet did, maybe it's better off that you don't have a kid. <laughs> um, no I'm messing of course um, but listen also going vegan is something that we were talking about because we were saying people are going meat free and we were talking about this on Wednesday and different fast food restaurants that are starting to have meat free options have you ever tried a meat free option or actually are you vegan? No um I, I'm a vegetarian sympathiser. Um, and again, it comes back to that hypocrisy. What's a vegetarian sympathiser? <laughs> it means somebody who sort of freely admits that he ought to be a vegetarian and often acts like he's a vegetarian, but isn't one because from time to time he does eat meat. Um, and yeah, I, I recognise the economics of it and also all the methane that's being emitted. So I, I freely admit, I, I won't say this about others, but I freely admit that I should stop eating meat. Unfortunately, I, I haven't stopped. But, I, you know, my, my often I'll have vegetarian sausages in the evening, which were actually, um, to me, almost as good as the real ones. But do you not just like a, to have a big burger? Oh, enormously. And this is the problem. And this is why from time to time I do have a big burger. Yeah. This is why I'm only a sympathiser. But do you think the meat-free options are as tasty? Um. That's a no. Okay, so talking to, <laughs> talking to strangers on Tuesday, we learned that it was a very valuable thing to do. And I kind of, I very openly admitted it's something, Martin, I personally would struggle with because I just, um, I would get quite nervous, I suppose. Um, would you say it's like an unusual thing to do? Would you be comfortable doing it? That's an interesting one, talking to strangers. Um, I think it means 
different things at different times. I mean, here I am talking to you and you're a stranger, Lottie, even though I'm on your friend, right? Um, so that there are contexts where it becomes easier. And I suppose actually going to see a therapist is a particular context of talking to a stranger, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about someone on a bus or um, at a gig or whatever. Um, well, I, I, I guess there are two sides to this. There's the sort of the giving and the receiving. And I'm not much of an initiator of conversations with strangers. I, I think mm. I'd probably be quite sort of awkward and stilted if I just went up to somebody and said, uh, mm, wonderful day, isn't it? But I, I think in my life, I've probably been quite good at reacting when strangers have come up to me. And actually, I, I've had some interesting and memorable conversations with strangers. I can have give you? you an example, if you like. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a story which sticks in my mind. It's a story that, that has to be told sensitively, or at least I have to try to, for reasons which will become obvious. But the beginning is that I was once, um, I was doing some university teaching in a country far away where basically nobody except the people at university spoke English. And there I am after a long hot day, I go back to my hotel, I'm about to get into the elevator, and this lady comes out with wet hair in a white bathrobe, and she looks me in the eye and oh. says, are you English? And I think, wow, you're good. Um, you can pick them out a mile away. And I say, uh, yes. The follow-up, you have to help me. And I'm oh. thinking, okay. And then she says, my parents are not my parents. So swallowing hard. Sounds say, like the beginning of a movie. <laughs> I mean, the, the story had a strong cinematic quality to it, although I'm not sure that Marvel are going to particularly want to take this on. <laughs> but... Um, so then I, I say, well, look, why don't we go and sit down in the hotel lobby and you explain to me exactly In her bathrobe. In a bathrobe. It became clear subsequently that she wasn't actually staying at the hotel um, and the bathrobe was concealing perfectly normal dry clothing, but you couldn't see that initially. So by degrees, it emerged that this poor lady was completely, to use a crude term, off her rocker. She was slightly delirious. The things that she said make a load of sense. And so there I was. And of course, you know, the first thing is I tried to alert the hotel staff, but they didn't speak English. It was very hard to do. But I sort of pointed and made, you know, facial expressions saying there's a problem here. And they just kind of responded with facial expressions, meaning well, it's not our problem. So then I rang up my assistant that I'd been given for my stay there, who came along and was kind of, Meh. you know, I, I, I have a day off here. I don't really want to help. But we eventually managed to get hold of the lady's mother, who said, I'll send a family friend around to help. So my assistant says, well, that's great. I can go now. But when the family friend turns up, he's a boy of, I don't know, 18, who says, well, I know this family vaguely, but I have nothing I can really do here. And so eventually, you know, we try all these options. She has a brochure uh, from a piano factory with a random phone number scribbled on it. So we try ringing that up and it turns out it's just someone she met on the street. And I'm thinking, look, I mean, this is a highly vulnerable individual here who clearly can't properly take care of herself. The people around her right now don't seem interested in taking care of herself. And if I simply let her go out into the street, you know, she's going to spend the night under a bridge and wake up, wake up without a kidney. So what can I do? And Martin, at this stage, do you still think she's naked under the towel? <laughs> um, that I can't remember. But I did discover why the hair was wet, because she took me to a bathroom where she proceeded to stick her head under the tap and moisten it again from scratch. It's like, aha, now I understand why the hair looked wet. Um, so we eventually have the genius idea of asking her, do you happen to know any phone numbers by heart? And she says, oh, yes, I know my father's number. And I'm like, why didn't I ask this two hours ago? And this whole story went on for, I don't know, eight or 10 hours in total. So um, I try calling the father, but he doesn't really speak English either. So it's a bit of a problem. So then I send 
the most surreal text message I've ever sent in my life to the same phone number, which was, you know, dear Mr. So-and-so, hello, I am in a hotel in City X. There is a young lady, very confused, perhaps your daughter, question mark. And three minutes later, the reply, yes, my daughter, please wait, I'm coming. And so the man had to get on a flight from a city four hours away. What? And, and so we sat there in the hotel lobby um, waiting for him. And, you know, there, there, were, there was even, even bits of a Sherlock Holmes story that cropped up in the middle of all this. So obviously there, there was a farcical dimension to this, which is how I was experiencing it. While yeah, at the no, same I, time, I definitely picked aware, up on that. Yeah, but, but uh, equally, you know, it was a, quite a serious situation and, and, and uh, in ways a dramatic and tragic one. But, you know, at the same time, I was aware of the farcicality. So we go, to, I take her to the hotel restaurant for dinner because I'm also worried because she, so, she shows signs that she might blow up. And I think, right, if she blows up, then the hotel will kick her out and then we're back to square one. And already um, several hours earlier, we were sitting at a hotel lobby and there was a load of tourists. I think they were um, from the Netherlands or from Belgium. And at this point, she was taking bits of rubbish out of a plastic bag and lining them up on the table. And clearly, um, you know, it was an unusual thing to do. And these tourists were looking at it, making snide comments. And I could see that she was sensing this. And I thought, oh, whoops, she might blow up. So I thought the only way out of this is for me to blow up preemptively. So summoning courage, I had no idea I possessed and I doubt I could ever summon again. I roared at these people. Excuse me. Don't you see we have a situation here? <laughs> and I thought they'd beat me up, but to my astonishment, they backed down and that was the end of the tourists. And so, you know, we had another few hours of calm, but eventually we, we needed to keep her occupied. So I took her up to the hotel restaurant for dinner and there we were sitting at the table. And this is where she started to act, I mean, slightly deliriously, like Sherlock Holmes in the story, The Dying Detective. Because there he tells Watson, you know, in his, this is staged delirium, oh, Watson, you have too many half crowns in your right pocket. They unbalance you. Please move them into your other pocket. And so Watson dutifully moves his coins from one pocket to another. And she starts doing exactly the same. You know, um, what do you have in your left pocket? Oh, move it over to your right pocket. And I'm thinking, like, is this candid camera? Is this actually, is it all made up? Is this a genuine psychiatric symptom? So anyhow, I move the stuff from one pocket to another. Um, and towards the end, I mean, look, the story goes on and on, and it happened years ago, and God knows what bits I'm forgetting. Um, in the end, the father arrived. Um, I said goodnight to both of them. And months later, I got an email from her saying, hello, I'm the lady who helped in the hotel. Um, and I just wanted to tell you I've been diagnosed with um, condition X. And uh, well, you know, it, it, it's good that you were there and that I didn't end up on the street. So, I, I thought, so in a way, the story had a happy ending. But it all began, and it, it's quite a memorable experience for me, it all began with those two questions. Are you English? And you have to help me, my parents are not my parents. So there's a conversation with a stranger that, um, well, if nothing else makes for a story years later. My God, Martin. I'm rarely left speechless. <laughs> I really, I have to say, Martin, um, I really would think about putting pen to paper and s selling that to Marvel. Well, yes, I mean, we, we could try. We could all act it out wearing capes and maybe a few of the lines could be in Babylonian. And I don't know, Angelina Jolie might want to play the part of the hotel receptionist. Oh, we can work it out. So can, just to sum it up, would you, is your advice to talk or not to talk to strangers? Oh, gosh. I mean, obviously, this this will depend on who you are and where you are. Um, but I, I suspect that, you know, the problem is always at the one percent, right, in any situation. But the 99 percent will just 
remind us all, especially in this time when we're fragmented and haven't spoken to many people for a long time, um, remind us all that human beings are, are nice people who are there for each other. I actually read an article about homelessness during the pandemic. I think it was in the Irish Times. It was very interesting. Um, so first of all, obviously with lockdown, there are fewer people on the streets, which means less cash, and the people are generally paying with cards, not with cash. So that's even less cash. So that was problem number one. But apparently an equally severe problem was that a lot of homeless people rely on chit chat with passersby for sanity, you know, just to feel that they're human beings and they're part of a society and people are willing to talk to them. So if you take away all the people on the street, then they're suddenly left like nobody. So that that's a very powerful perspective on the whole idea of talking to strangers. And it's a reminder it's a good thing to do. Martin, I have to say, I could not be ha- You're the highlight of my week. <laughs> You really are, Martin. You're an absolute breath of fresh air and I have thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. Well, if you open your window, I think you'll get a blast of even fresher air right now. But so nice to talk to you. Thank you for having me and goodbye. (laughs) Oh, Martin, what a man. My God, he's made my day. That was Dr. Martin Worthington of Trinity College Dublin, Middle Eastern Studies and one of Jen's friends, but I'm I'm gonna have to rob him from Jen and make him my friend. Jennifer Zamparelli on 2FM.